Thank you for joining the Home Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at myhomechurch.org. guys. Happy New Year. <laughs> uh, you want it? No, don't say it. They, were, they wanted the, the New Year's. I did it last, last week. I wouldn't see you guys till the New Year, but I'm not doing it this week. I've already exhausted it. No, it's, it's, uh, it's good to be with you guys. Man, so much of what's on my heart, we've actually been singing and worshiping through. So I, I say that Every week it's important to lock into the Word of God, but I really feel the Lord. I can sense the Lord on what we're getting into. I, I really trust there's going to be a unique anointing on what we're getting into because it's already been confirmed. And I feel like our hearts are already opened up to receive the truth that God is going to speak. So um, it's really connected with the return of the Lord. Uh, we've been speaking about Advent, and I told you that we're going to we're going to transition and, and speak about the second advent, the second coming of the Lord. There's actually a, a number of different things over the next few weeks I, we're going to get into that I feel come back to this, like, this is, the, this is the transcendent reality that we're coming under. Purity and all these things, I feel like it's, I see the Lord is showing me it's connected to He's coming back, uh, what it means to be a bride. So uh, if you have your Bibles, which I hope you do, I want you to turn with me to Hebrews chapter 9. It's really important. I want that you guys track with me. Hebrews chapter 9 is going to be our, our launching scripture today, set a foundation, and then we're going, to, we're going to jump into this. Hebrews chapter 9. Oh, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> so not only do I feel life on, there's something about the, the Lord's return that I really feel just feel a lot of life on. That's kind of how I can sense where we should go and how long to stay. And I just sense when I study this that God is inviting us into this. That doesn't necessarily mean I'm not saying that tomorrow the Lord's returning. I don't, I don't know anything like that. We don't know the, the hour. Um, but I just do feel that there, there's many things that the Lord wants us to see that actually affect our, our today. And actually there's something that the Lord wants to, the Lord is putting on my heart and I spoke with some of the the key leaders and say, hey, what do you think about this? And they all agreed. So I'm going to share that as we go through uh, today, a little bit later on, something I'm really excited about that I feel the Lord's inviting us in for this upcoming year to do corporately. And, uh, and it'll make more sense as we go through it. Um, Hebrews 9, though, is where we're going to start. And, and I'll, just, I'll just say this. The, the past two weeks, we've been speaking about Advent. And specifically, we've been talking about Advent in the sense of the coming or the arrival of the Lord, right? That's what Advent means, the coming of the Lord. And we've been looking at it, obviously, in the, in the sense of looking at Jesus' coming at Christmas, Bethlehem, the first coming of Christ. And one of the things that I hope that you have noticed, not so much even last week, but the week prior, when we went through Revelation 12 to really show this child that was promised to come into the earth, uh, one of the things I hope you see is that Christmas is not so much about a birth. It is about a birth, but it's more about a coming. It's about one who was prophesied to come into this earth. And one of the things that we saw is that this promise of a child coming to the earth goes back to Genesis 3.15 when sin and brokenness enters into the world and God in the midst of such tragedy actually releases profound hope by saying there's going to be a seed, uh, a man-child, an offspring of Eve whose sole destiny will be to crush the head of the serpent. 
And so from that place, the rest of the Old Testament is the Israelites looking for this seed. They're looking for this man-child. They're looking for the son of David, the one who will come and ultimately restore what was lost in Eden. And the whole narrative is while that's happening, while they're longing and waiting and looking, uh, we said Revelation 12, it says the dragon is also looking, which is representative of the Satan. He's constantly looking to snuff this child out. He doesn't want him to come to the earth. And so the whole celebration of Christmas is that 4,000 years later, approximately, the child got here. <laughs> the child broke through. God delivered on his promise. And with that, the kingdom of heaven is, has come. And now the question is, now what? <laughs> and what I want you to see is that even though we're past Christmas, we're past what we would typically call Advent, technically we're actually now living in the tension of two Advents. There was a first coming and there's going to be a second coming. So we're living right now in between the two comings of Christ. And just as, so the one who came, we said, was caught up to God. And right now from the heavenly throne, Christ is ruling. All authority, power, a dominion. He's above every name, not only in this age, but in the age to come. Meaning he's already ruling over the nations from the heavenly throne. Now what we're longing for is the one that came and was caught up. We're longing for him to come so that what he's doing from the heavenly throne will be expressed in its fullness on the earth. That every nation, everything on this earth will come under the reality of the kingdom of God. And everything will be touched by it and all kingdoms will become his kingdom. So the one who came was caught up and now we're saying, come Lord Jesus again, right? So let, let's, let's look at Hebrews 9 verse 27, 28. Just hang with me. This is going to break wide open. Hebrews 9, 27, 28. The, the main text is 28, but to read in context, we're going to read the verse before. And it says, Just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, verse 28, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, right, that's why he first came, he offered himself up to bear the sins of many, ready? He will appear a second time. The one who came to offer himself up to bear the sins of many, it says, will appear a second time. Not if, not maybe, not if we believe it. He will appear a second time. And I imagine just as the Israelites begin to grow weary in believing, would he ever come the first time? You see that same type of language emerging today in our culture. It's a myth. I don't know if it's happening. But I promise you this, just as the child broke through, the king of glory will break through again. He will come again. He will appear a second time, and then this is so important, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. So what were we just talking about? A ready bride. Those who are eagerly waiting for him. They're, the one who came, he's coming again. He will appear a second time. The second advent will be a sudden visible bodily appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ. The skies will actually crack open and he will come and he will come and take his throne in Jerusalem. And John, in John 14, Jesus, when speaking to his disciples and preparing their hearts that he was leaving, meaning he was going to die and resurrect, Jesus said this, I go to prepare a place. But then in John 14, verse 3, he says this, I will come again. I will come again. <laughs> But I want you to hear this. The one who came, he's coming again. But the way that he's coming is not how he came. <laughs> the one 
who came is coming again, but the way that he's coming is not how he first came. <laughs> That's part of what the writer of Hebrews is saying here. I'll read it again. He says, he will appear a second time not to deal with sin. He gave himself up in the first time to do that, but he's coming for a different purpose. He says, but he will come to save those, the glorification of those who are eagerly waiting for him. Caesar said it. He's coming back for a ready bride. Crystal said it. What bride, that describes the church, what bride would not be ready for her wedding day? The ready bride is going to be looking locked into this. They're eagerly waiting for this moment. But the, the first thing I want to just say is that the way that he's coming is not how he first came. Now you can hit, literally, there's a number of different ways to see this, but I was just kind of thinking about this. Bethlehem, at Bethlehem when he was born, few noticed him. Joseph, Mary, a few shepherds. <laughs> But it says in Matthew 25, verse 32, it says that when he returns, it says the nations will gather around him. So the one who was born, that few notice, when he returns, the nations are going to gather around him. At Bethlehem, his earthly father, Joseph, placed him in a manger. But when he returns, his heavenly father is placing him on a throne on the earth. At Bethlehem, he came in a very quiet way. Oh, silent night, we, cry, we, we sing, right? But when he returns, Matthew 25, 31 says, when the king of glory returns, he's returning with a shout. He's returning with a command. Trumpets blasting, angels singing. Like he's coming again this way. Whether or not we see in our lifetime, I, I can't tell you that, but I know that there's a bride that's getting ready and we play a role in this. And when he comes with a shout and a command, John 5 says, at this command, the graves will have to give up the dead. At this command, the devil gives up his quest. Kings and queens will give up their crowns. The hopeless will give up despair, and his children will lift up worship as he comes. The bodily, sudden, visible return of the Lord. I will come again. And so the first advent is unto the second advent. But here's what I really feel the Lord stirring in my heart, is that he's coming back again for those who are eagerly waiting for him. I want, we got to feel this. In fact, let's, would you pray with me? Really, that it would be beyond words, because this is where we're going. Lord, I pray beyond my own words, Lord, I'm praying that you by the Spirit would awaken what this text is saying, what your living word is saying, and help us to feel. Lord, help us to feel and join in and become one with this ache and this groan, with this longing and this looking. And for those that this feels foreign, God, I pray that something would shift this morning where we would be found eagerly waiting for our bridegroom king. In Jesus' name. Amen. He's coming back for those that are eagerly waiting for him. The moment I read this, I immediately thought of this is the same cry of the first advent. We said the cry of the first advent was building and growing over the several thousands of years. And what was it? Oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel, we said, and rescue captive Israel. Come, come Messiah, come deliverer, come rescuer, come to your people. I tell you this, the same cry that marked Old Testament Israel is marking the body of Christ today. And we're going to see it's Revelation 22:17. It's the spirit and the bride say, come. The same cry that marked Old Testament Israel, God's putting in it. 
Just as Israel, Israel was given the privilege. We said last uh, two weeks ago, it was a metaphor that they were pregnant with the promise of the Messiah. Israel bared the reproach of the world, carrying the hope of the world that one day they would deliver their own deliverer. And they carried this promise just as Old Testament Israel carried that promise in the New Covenant, the New Testament church, me and you are carrying the promise of his return. Guys, this is glorious, but we have a responsibility. We have a responsibility to enter in, as we're going to see, and join in with the world, with the saints crying, bridegroom come, bridegroom come. And as we're going to see, there's levels to that. It's not just the once and for all coming, but it's, it's coming in waves even prior to that. Bridegroom come. We're carrying the promise of the return of the Messiah. Eagerly waiting, this is so important, eagerly waiting means the second advent is meant to touch our lives. It means it's meant to impact our lives. The return of the Lord is meant to affect the way that we're living today. Not by escaping, not by saying, well, we'll just hold on tight. No, 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 actually quite the opposite. It makes us further engage the earth because we know it all matters and we know he's coming back and the things and the choices that we're doing now, it's actually going to be caught up in the whole new heaven, new earth that he's making. It actually caused us to press in even harder. It caused us to make wise choices knowing that he's returning. So he's coming back for people who are actually getting touched by this revelation that he's coming and they're making decisions today that are, that are in light of that day. Let me put it this way. Um, I, I think I might have shared this two weeks ago when we did the first Advent. But literally, by definition, if you go in the English definition, you'll see something like this for Advent. It means the arrival of a notable person. So technically, you can experience Advents in the natural. So when two nations... Or, or, or let me say, put it, when a nation is getting ready to receive a royal official from another nation, like a president or a king, technically that receiving nation is in an Advent season. They're getting ready to receive and, and welcome a notable person. And do you think our nation or any other nation just lets that happen by chance? <laughs> do you think when they know a king is coming from another nation that there's preparation? Do you think that they're aware of that day? Do you think they're making choices in light of that day so that when that person comes, he is welcomed and honored? Of course. How much more should we be doing that for the king of glory? How much more should a bride be making decisions today that's actually preparing our hearts and this earth, community city, for the one that's coming to reign and dwell here forever? And I, I so believe that there's a lot of ways that that, 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 that can look. But I so believe what's happening in the prayer room is so connected, as we're going to see in just a moment, to leading a people who are eagerly waiting, longing, and looking, and joining in to the intercessory cry of come. Are you with me? Come. And I'm praying that this grips us, because there's, I really believe some, the Lord is inviting us into something that's happening around the world this year, and I just, I feel the Lord is saying, I want you guys to participate. So I want us to look at Revelation 22 verse 17 if you guys can turn there Revelation 22 verse 17 so the one who came is coming again he's coming again and I really want to just speak into what it looks like to be what I believe is a ready bride, eagerly waiting. Is everyone there? I want you to see this. Revelation 22:17. This 
is one of the most informative and significant prophecies describing the activity of the Holy Spirit in the church as we draw nearer to the Lord's return. You hear me? This is one of the most significant and informative prophecies. It's really a prophecy of what the church is going to be operating in as we draw nearer to the Lord's return. Now, I want you to see this, how this whole context of Revelation 22, 17, it's rooted in the return of the Lord. You say, why is that? Well, first and foremost, we find it all in the end of the book. It's showing us where it's all going. And the things we're going to read, they're happening now, but we're going to see what we're going through. We're going to see these trends increasing more and more as we draw nearer to the Lord's return. But not just that. I want you to see context within the very own chapter. Look at verse 12. Real quick, this is Jesus' words. Verse 12 says, Behold, I am coming soon. You guys see that? That's Jesus speaking. He says, Behold, I am coming soon. And then skip all the way down to almost the very end, verse 20. And verse 20, at the end of this chapter, again, speaking of Jesus, it says, He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. And then John the Baptist says, Amen, come Lord Jesus. <laughs> so here's what you have. Verse 12 and verse 20 serve as bookends, both saying this. The Lord is saying, I am coming soon. Right in the middle is the climactic verse of verse 17, which is the response of the church to the one who says, I am coming soon. So the, the, this whole thing, verse 17, is all about, actually this whole end of the, the, this chapter, is really about how we prepare ourselves for the return of the Lord. And verse 17, I think, captures it the best. We're going to see four dominant activities that the church is operating in as we draw nearer to the Lord's return. Four dominant activities. And what I feel the Lord wants to do is he wants to give vision and clarity and help us connect the dots to see that what he's doing in this little old Mastic Beach home church is actually being grafted into a glorious storyline that's going to touch the global church. Like what's happening in the prayer room and, these, and the things that are taking place, it's so much bigger than just this community. There's something that's going to sweep across the global church, and we just happen to be a small part of that. But that's really exciting to see what's taking place. Amen? All right, so let's read verse 17. Four things that the church is going to be operating in. We need to receive this. I feel like we're speaking prophetically over this new year. They're happening already. I just want to be clear. They're happening in this body, but watch. They're going to be increasing more and more. And the key is this cry of come. So verse 17 says, The Spirit and the Bride say, Come. <laughs> the first cry of Advent, O come, O come, Emmanuel. What is the cry of the second Advent? Come. The spirit and the bride, it's the bride aching for the bridegroom king to return. The spirit and the bride say, come, and let the one who hears say, come, and let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. All right, you ready? <laughs> I'm so excited for this. <laughs> Four things that I see happening in our church, and they're going to grow, and they're gonna, we're being invited into this really end-time prophecy. Number one, number one is there is going to be a, a unique anointing resting on the church. A unique anointing resting on the church. It says, why? The spirit 
and the bride say come. The reason why there's a unique anointing is because unlike any other time in history, there will be a dynamic unity between the spirit and the bride that we have never seen before. For it does not say the spirit is longing for the son to return or that just the church is longing, but the spirit and the bride have become one in what they long for. The deep of God has become our deep and we're calling out to his deep. And Psalm 133 says that unity commands a blessing. God blesses where there is unity. And you're going to see more and more the desires of the spirit become the desires of the church. And it's going to get single. We're going to get really simple but really deep. Because the cry is going to be him. And when there's unity like this, we've had unity with the spirit, but this is going to be profound. What he wants is what we want. In fact, it'll be so one that we'll say it, it's, our own, it's our own desires. We'll actually think it's our own desires. It's because he gave us his desires. And the one thing we want is him. And when God blesses a place, guys, we're talking about everything functioning as it's meant to be. We're talking about power and purity and his presence coming in unique ways. And you're going to see more and more of this rising in the church. I see it in this house. The, the last few months, that, that I don't know if you guys know everything. We probably got to make room to share it. But like this SUM team that goes out every week in evangelism, like it's unbelievable the things that are happening, lives that are being touched all across here. So many, things, so many things are taking place. I believe it's connected to more and more we're getting alignment with the desire of the Spirit, which is this ache that just says, come Lord Jesus. And the more we do that, God is blessing this. He's blessing it. The, the, the unity is actually in the pursuit, what we're pursuing. What are we asking for? Him. <laughs> oh, I believe in my heart there is that's happening and it's going to come in increasing measure, there is going to be a divine deterioration of all the distractions that have taken place in the church that actually have led us further away from him rather than fueling a love for him. I think it's one of the beautiful things that have happened through COVID. I already see more and more. We're just seeing stuff for what it is like, man, it's not that it's bad, but it's just, it's fluff. (laughs) There's no life to it. It's not in the kingdom. And more and more I see these things getting pushed out till we come to a single pursuit that says, Jesus, all we want is you. All we want is you. Like, I think the days are coming where gatherings like this, it doesn't matter where you meet. It doesn't matter, like, if it's just how it looks. But people are going to just be drawn to places that are just saying, Jesus, we want you. Jesus, we want you. Come however you want, but we just want you. Like we recognize all the other things can't sustain me. And when the world is shaking, you realize there's there's no substance in that. We just want the Lord. And I really believe even now, even now, the spirit is looking to build with houses and people that only want the bridegroom above everything else. That's where I believe you're going to see places, and we're seeing it, places of influence, places that God is really going to exalt before man to say this is what it looks like are those that have gotten so single in their cry. They just said, Lord, it's about you. We preach Jesus. We sing about Jesus. All we want is Jesus. <laughs> because in him, we have everything. Even though it's simple, don't for one thing, moment think it's shallow. For heaven, twice in the New Testament, you see the Father speak twice in the New Testament. And both times at the baptism of Jesus and at the Mount of Transfiguration, what is the message of heaven? This is my son. Heaven speaks one message. This is my son. Everything you need is in him. There's no other message to speak. It's Jesus. No matter what we speak on, it must come back to him. 
There's a profound unity that's going to hit the body, and it's not. Listen, it's happening on a global scale. It says the spirit and the bride at whole. We're not talking about some raggedy remnant <laughs> that's off in the mountains somewhere that caught some, like, random vision. You're talking about something that's hitting the global church. All it says is the spirit and the bride have been brought into this thing, and all they want is him. Can you imagine that? The church in China, the church in America, the church in India, Iceland, Nicaragua, the church in, I don't know if I said it right, Nigeria, Africa, every place you're seeing everyone come into alignment and they're saying, come Lord Jesus, come Lord Jesus, come Lord Jesus. And I'm telling you, we're being grafted into this, guys. We've got to recognize the times all over the earth Places of prayer are emerging where they're just saying, this is what we want. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. We're drawing nearer and nearer to that place. Jesus, as I said before, Jesus is not coming back for a bride that does not want him. He's coming back for a bride that's saying, come, Lord Jesus. He's coming back for a bride that's eagerly awaiting him. So there's going to be a unique anointing that I see is hitting the body, and we're going to step more and more into that in 2022. I really believe that. As we give ourselves to this one thing in the prayer room, we're going to see more and more anointing flowing out from that. Because it's the beholding is unto, then we go bring his kingdom, right? It goes somewhere from there. Number two, not only is there an anointing that's going to rest on the church that's unique because of the profound unity, but the second thing, like we literally sang this stuff. <laughs> it's so amazing. We're going to be established in bridal identity. Really, really important. I want you to hear this. It says we're going to have a unique anointing by the Spirit because of unity, and we are going to be established in bridal identities, a bridal identity. For it says, when the Lord returns, the Spirit and the army, the Spirit and the warriors, the, the Spirit and the body, the Spirit and the temple, those are all glorious truths. They're eternal truths that we will walk in for eternity. But there's something about as we draw nearer to his return where the bridal identity is going to come to the forefront. Because all of history is climaxing with this, a wedding. <laughs> it's a marriage supper. And part of being a prepared bride is knowing you are a bride and that he is a bridegroom and growing in that revelation. And more and more, you're going to see an increase in the bridal identity as we draw nearer to the Lord's return. You are, does it say the spirit in the charismatics? <laughs> the spirit in the Pentecostals, the spirit in the Baptists, the spirit in the Methodists, Episcopalians, put whatever you want in there. Nuh-uh. It's the spirit and the bride. Not only will there be profound unity that we're going to step into between the spirit and the church, but within the church. All these labels, we'll say that's secondary. Here's what we really are, his bride. And our hearts are longing for our bridegroom to return. 30 years ago or so, you look up what it means to be the bride of Christ and you would find nearly silence. Go back even further, there'd be nothing. I want you to hear this. This is very important. Not only was there silence, You'd probably even have confusion and a measure of offense. Like, I even see that today. My own heart as a man, you say, you're the bride of Christ. It's like, Ugh. I get a little offended at that. I'm like, well, what do you mean I'm the bride of Christ? But guys, you have to hear this. It has nothing to do with gender. Just like sonship, sonship has nothing to do with gender. Sonship does not exclude women. It's a statement of your position before God who's like your father. It speaks to inheritance, his provision, his protection. When it says that we are the bride, it's actually an invitation to the fact that God wants to connect with you on a heart level. 
He wants you to know his emotions and his affections and his thoughts towards you. David said, I can't even count all the thoughts that he has towards me. Like we read through these things. We need to catch this. <laughs> Growing in the revelation, of it, this changes everything. Every verse changes when you recognize that you're his bride. Everything changes when you see that you belong to him in this way. And I, I think this is so important because for me, so often what I thought is the Christian experience, my walk was about enduring a distant God. Like God's real, but he's somewhere out there. He doesn't want any intimacy with me, that's for sure. Uh, and I'm just doing my best to resist worldly pleasures, all while hoping that he's real. <laughs> uh-uh. The bridegroom message says that he wants to know you. He wants you to know him, and he wants to know you. It's a deep intimacy. It's a deep intimacy that he, that he wants to have with you. He wants to engage with you on a heart level. He doesn't want you to just study fundamental truths about him, but have a relationship that's void of intimacy with him. He really wants you to understand who he is. And so today, today, here, what, what was foreign? Listen, it's amazing. Today, this reality is marking. If you go to, I mean, where there's like really pure worship coming forth, it's marking worship. Intimacy like this, bridal identity is marking worship and it's marking messages. And you have, but you have to hear this because what the, what the enemy loves to do is he loves to cause division. And what I see him doing is trying to pit generations against each other. And what I see him trying to do is trying to get an older generation, a younger generation to fight with one another by saying, the, older, the younger generation says, see, you guys missed it. And then the older generation is, no, you're just veering off into something different that we've never seen before. <laughs> but the reality is, is both are right. It's just a matter of discerning the time that we're in. There are certain truths that are eternal, but, but this has nothing to do with right or wrong. What happened 50 so years ago was right for that hour. But there's a new hour coming. And what we have to recognize and discern that bridal language is going to come more and more and more because it says when he returns, it is the spirit and the bride that will be crying out, come. Are you with me? Contrary to, po listen, this is so important, contrary to popular belief, I feel like a lot of the resistance to bridal identity is because our first thought is that sounds like a really weak and soft church. <laughs> now let me be clear on something. Let me be really clear. There is a softness, but it's in the right place. It's in the heart towards God. God, God rejects the hard heart. Part of the bridal message is we actually are soft and tender and receptive and aware of the things of God, which is what he desires. But I want to be so clear. The bridal message is not a weak and soft church like powerless. No, no, no. It actually is filled with zeal. It's, it's filled with power. It's filled with purity. It's devotion and commitment. Why? Because love is the greatest motivator. Do you, you know, it, Jesus said, if you uh, love me, you will obey me. <laughs> if you want to come after God in deeper ways than you've ever ran after him, you need to fall deeper in love with him. If we struggle to obey him, do you know what the root issue is? Love. Obedience is the fruit of the root, which is love. Love will actually take you and lead you to give up more and do things you never would do outside of love. I love, there's a place for duty and diligence. Sometimes you just got to say, I don't want to do this, but I'm doing it. But as a whole, the Lord wants to take us from duty into delight, where we love him and no one is telling you to do it. What? I'll give an illustration. Forgive me if I've shared this story, but I want you to hear this because I think it'll help connect. 
with me and my, my wife. So forgive me as well if I share this. No, it's not bad. It's not bad. <laughs> when, when my wife and I were first dating, we lived in the city. Now, we were young, 21 years old, 22. I don't know. I was, I was like that. She's, she's a little older. I got, I got, on, I got, I got my Jaguar Cougar. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Can you not say that? I don't know. I'm just kidding. She was a little older. Actually, you want to know a funny story? I met her. We didn't, we didn't know the Lord. The first text, I'm texting her, and I'm texting my friend, and he goes, how is it going? This is like second day. And I said, good, but I think I'm in love. I go back to the text message. I don't see it to my friend. I realize I was texting her the whole time. <laughs> and she just looked at me laughing. I'm like, oh, man. There's no longer playing it cool. My cards are on the table. <laughs> But, but that's, not what I wanted to, that's not what I wanted to share. <laughs> when we were first dating, uh, we, we had a hobby then that we still have today, which is a love for food, as you can see. <laughs> uh, but, but really, like, high-end food. And New York City is a good place to be if you love food. Uh, at the time, I think out of the top ten restaurants in the world, three of them were there. And we, we went to the majority of those. But we loved going out to nice restaurants. We still, to this day, we just did a bunch of different things like that. But here's what she didn't know. What she didn't know that she knows now and we laugh about is that when we would go to these restaurants, I would take my weekly paycheck, I would pay off my basic bills, and then the rest of it would be put into these restaurants. Like, because these are, it's sobering how much money, hundreds and hundreds of dollars. And so what she didn't realize is that for the rest of the week, I was foregoing meals or literally eating like cans of beans would be my meals, <laughs> morning, lunch, and dinner. Um, my favorite time when at work was around the holidays when people would bring in like all the snacks and cookies and I would just eat off of these. This is how I was living off these snacks. Now listen, some, some would say that's wasteful, <laughs> but I would say that's love. <laughs> and when a woman broke an alabaster jar worth a year's wages, the disciples looked at her and said, that's wasteful. <laughs> and Jesus said, no, this is love. And no one, no one had to tell me to do that. No one had to tell me to make that sacrifice. You know what? I wanted to do it because that's what love looks like. And I promise you this, as we grow more and more in the bridal identity, there, we will go so much deeper than we've ever gone in the natural. So much deeper. Hold your spot here. I want to see Ephesians 3 really quick. Hold your spot in Revelation 22. Ephesians 3. We'll hit these other ones, well, at least the, one of them, the last one, a little bit quicker. So we're talking about anointed in the spirit is one of the things happening, established in bridal identity. I just want you to see Ephesians 3, verse 18, 19. To, to again, just counter this idea that love is elementary. In some ways it is, but we never outgrow it. Do you know Jesus said, as the Father has loved me, so I love you. And then he said this, Abide in my love. Not for a moment, not for a season, not when it gets hard, remind yourself he loves you. He says live there. And I want you to see what Paul prays here. It's one of the great apostolic prayers. There's many of these in, in the letters of Paul. But here's one. I want you to see how it connects to love, and I think it connects to the bride. Verse 18, Ephesians 3, verse 18. This is Paul's prayer for the church at Ephesus, but for the saints at large. He says that you may have strength, you need strength to comprehend this, supernatural strength, to comprehend, to know with all the saints, that's me and you now, what is the breadth and length 
and height and depth. What is he talking about? And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. So Paul is praying that we would know the height, depth, width, length of the love of Christ. And then he says, which surpasses knowledge. He says, I want you to know something that surpasses knowledge. He said, Paul, I think you're a little confused. No, what he's talking about is there are some things that you know without actually being able to define it. Because it's so big, only the Spirit can actually do this. He's actually talking about something that the Spirit wants to do, and I believe it's connected to Revelation 22, 17. The Spirit wants to put an ache in our heart that is rooted in knowing, even though we can, maybe we can't define it, but we're knowing this deep love that is boundless and measureless. Romans 5, Paul talks about how the Holy Spirit wants to pour the love of Christ into your hearts. Holy Spirit doesn't want to just trickle this love. He doesn't just want to leak it. He wants to pour it out. He wants to take the historical event of how 2,000 years ago the God-man actually died for you, and he wants to take it so that it's more than something you just mentally agree with, and he wants to pour it in your heart so that that moment becomes a palpable, tangible love that touches your heart, that you feel, that you know, and that actually affects and changes who you are. And this is the key of it. This is the key. Look how it finishes. As he says, I pray that you would know this, this love that surpasses knowledge. Look what it's unto. That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. <laughs> what is the path to maturity? To experience the measureless, boundless love of the Lord. This is not for the, the new believer. We need to grow in this love that, honestly, even we could study for the rest of our lives and still be at the beginning of it. And Paul says, this is how you mature. Guys, the bridal identity is a complete paradigm shift. What does that mean? It's, that's a fancy word of saying we, we start viewing the kingdom of God through a different lens. What's that lens? Everything changes when you and I start viewing the kingdom of God through the lens that you are a cherished bride. Cherished bride. That's Ephesians 5. You are a cherished bride who's in partnership with the bridegroom king. Once you see that, every verse changes. <laughs> Everything you read changes. You and I are not simply a labor force. You're not simply a workforce. And I feel this happens a lot. I, I fall into this trap, and what takes place is someone falls into compromise, or someone drifts or gets burnt out, and we're like, oh, well, they were expendable. On to the next one. You're not some expendable workforce. You're in partnership with the bridegroom king. This changes everything. Like, your small yeses matter to him. He says, I take notice when you give a small cup of cold water to someone. It's like I receive it unto myself. It moves me, it touches me, it blesses me. The moment we get this, it changes everything of how we serve the Lord. All right, come back to Revelation 22. One other really big one, and the last one I'll just share quick. So two things I see us stepping more into in this year and the years to come a unique anointing with the Spirit because we're going to be so deeply unified with the Spirit. Established in bridal identity. And that's important to grasp because the bridal identity is unto this right here, this cry of come. You have to understand you're a bride if we really understand the heart of this cry. The third thing is that we're going to be engaged in intercession. Let's read it again. It says, the Spirit and the bride say come. That's actually a statement of intercession. And one of the things that is happening more and more is we are seeing houses of prayer, and look, it looks different, 
uh, it can look all different ways. It's not about a format. It's about a spirit and, and, and a heart posture. But we're seeing all over the world places emerging that are joining into this cry of come Lord Jesus. And we're being grafted into that. And as Pastor Crystal said, I want to invite you to join into what the Lord is doing. It's unbelievable that God has positioned us in this little town and city to, to, to join into what's happening on the global scale. But this is really important. This cry, you and I can't study our way into it. This is what I, I've tried to, and I get frustrated. You can't study yourself into this cry. It has to be awakened by making contact with his desire for you. That's why the more we grow in bridal identity, the more we're going to see this is the cry that comes forth. The spirit and the bride are saying, come. Do we have the Holy Spirit right now? So this cry is not coming from an absence of the spirit. It's actually coming because we're making contact, but we want everything that he has. We want all of him. You can't study your way into this. How is it? It's awakened. It's awakened by encountering his desire for you. John 17, verse 24, Jesus in his priestly prayer. Think about this. Jesus in his priestly prayer, praying to the Father for his church, for us, for the current disciples at the time, for the body at large. He says, Father, I desire. This should blow our mind. God has desires. <laughs> yes, God has desires. And you know what his desire was? He says, Father, I desire that those you've entrusted to me may be where I am. His sole desire was that he would be one with those who have been given to him. So when we read this verse, 22, Revelation 22, and he says, behold, I'm coming, we need to understand it's rooted in the, in the desire of the bridegroom to be one with those who've been trusted to him. Like this is more than I'm just fulfilling something on a timeline. I, I get that there's something happening here, but it's about a bridegroom saying, I want to be with my partner forever. That's what he's saying. It's, it's, it's so important to see this, that, that God is, again, it's not just some, some distant cry that the Lord has, but he's saying, I want to be with you. I want to be close to you. So what happens is, is that as we encounter his desire for us, it's awakening a groan for him. So the come, Lord Jesus, is the response to us being awakened to the John 17, 24 revelation. He's saying, I'm desiring you and I'm coming. And we say, oh my goodness, as that hits my heart, I want you. <laughs> I want you. I'm, this breaks intercession that's fueled by, again, just duty. We're not just doing something because, well, that's what we're supposed to pray. No, we're actually in love with our bridegroom. It's a lovesickness of saying, we want you. We want you. We want you. All right, one other big verse. Come to Matthew 9, please. Matthew 9. You guys tracking with me? anointed with the Spirit, established in bridal identity, and engaged in intercession. And I want you to really pay close attention because I'm going to share what I feel the Lord through this text right here, what the Lord is inviting us into partly for this new year. I'm going to read verse 14 and 15, and that's it. This is where Jesus is questioned by John the Baptist's disciples along with Pharisees. And essentially what they're going to ask is, why do we fast and your disciples do not fast? <laughs> And Jesus will give the response. So verse 14 of Matthew 9. It says, Then the disciples of John came to him, meaning to Jesus, saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? 
So under the law, the, the, the common belief is that you would fast twice a week is usually what they would do. So they're saying we fast twice a week, we fast regularly, like we're locked in, and I see your guys just sitting around. Why is that? And Jesus gives a profound statement for the, for the era, the epoch that we're living in, the season. It says, and Jesus said to them, listen to the imagery that he uses, can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? Now, he's speaking about himself, and he just makes the illustration. He says, I'm a bridegroom. Would the wedding guests mourn as long as I'm with them? He's saying, I'm here right now. Why would they be in mourning? But then he says something amazing. He says, the end of verse 15, the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. <laughs> when he says that the bridegroom will be taken away, he's speaking about his death, his resurrection, and his ascension. And he says, when I leave, then they will fast. What's causing the fasting? Jesus' bodily presence being removed from the earth. And Jesus is saying, when I leave, that's when they will fast. In other words, the Lord, the Lord is inviting us into a new paradigm of fasting. He says, you fasted before, but it's been out of religion it's been out of duty. It's been out of responsibility. I commend you and I honor you for that. But there is an hour coming where people will fast and it's not because they have to. It's because they are so in love with me that they will want more of me. He says there is an hour coming, a new season coming when people will fast. They will give up with, with that which is permissible. Food is permissible. It's a blessing from the Lord. But we're so hungry for fresh revelation and fresh touches and fresh encounters that we're willing to give up with what is permissible just to have more of him. I'm telling you now, there is an hour. It's now. You're going to see more and more individuals willing to push away plates, willing to push away certain relationships, willing to push away certain careers, all in the namesake that they've been wounded by divine love. No one had to tell them. No one had to force them. But they said, I've met this king and my heart aches for him and I want more of him. And they, they're, they're entering into this bridal ache for the Lord saying, Come, Lord Jesus, I want you so deeply. I want you so deeply. The fasting is going to be birthed out of a desire for proximity and nearness to this king. That's what he's saying. There's something about fasting that's going to draw on the presence of God. So why am I saying all this right now? Because here's what I want you to lock into this. Here's what I feel one of the things the Lord's inviting us into in this new year. As I was studying this, I came across a certain individual who, who I knew, but something that he did. Back in 2002, a man by the name of Mike Bickle at uh, International House of Prayer, he started a prayer room uh, that's been really influential in, in many ways. In 2002, the Lord hit his heart like a hammer with this verse. And the Lord said, I want you to start a bridegroom fast, a bridegroom fast rooted in Matthew 9, which is on a global scale, Revelation 22:17. And he said, but it's not meant to be just for your house. I want you to open this up to the nations, to the multitudes. Now, I'm not exactly sure where the number is at today, but I know churches all over the earth partake in now what is called the bridegroom fast. And here's how it works. The first week of every month, so 12 times, Monday through Wednesday, there is a fast where the whole multitudes of people gather together in unison for the come Lord Jesus. Now, there's a lot that comes with that, that, that cry. It's not just simply saying that over and over, but it's him coming. And I met with Caesar, Pastor Crystal, Willie, and we talked through this, and we felt strongly that the Lord was saying, I want you in this upcoming year to partake in this bridegroom fast. We're going to make one 
small tweak, and that is that we don't have corporate times to pray right now on Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday. So what we're going to do, just to customize it a little bit, and we felt that this was the right thing to do, is we're going to start on Wednesday. So we're going to overlap with what everyone's doing around the world on Wednesday, and we're going to carry it through to Friday. That way we have times in the prayer room, Thursday and Friday, to gather corporately to be praying specifically for this uh, bridal ache, the Maranatha cry, come Lord Jesus. Yes? I'm really excited for this. This starts next week. So next week, we'll put out reminders, but Wednesday, again, you can enter in at all different places. I'm not going to teach on fasting now. Uh, if you have questions, you can let us know. But you can enter in all different ways. You can do a meal, a day. Some will do the full three days. But Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, the first Wednesday, Thursday, Friday of every month, we're going to partake in the bridegroom fast. Now listen to me. What does that mean, though? We're saying, come, Lord Jesus, but there's three levels to that. Okay? So hear me on this. When we say, come, Lord Jesus, what we're going to be praying for, number one, is on an individual level. Individual breakthrough. We're praying, when we say, come, Lord Jesus, we're praying for him to come near to us in our own hearts, like individual breakthrough right now. Right? You with me? The next level up is regional breakthrough, city breakthrough. So we're saying, Lord, come to us in revival, like over the city. So one is personal, individual, come, Lord, to my own heart, break through my own heart. One is come to our city, come to our nation, bring revival, regional breakthrough. And then the last thing that we're praying for is historical breakthrough. That is the come for us up in the sky. <laughs> come once and for all, Lord Jesus. You with me? So individual breakthrough, city, or regional breakthrough, and then historical breakthrough. All right? So let's come back, Revelation 22, and we'll finish out on this last part. In fact, Mark, if you wouldn't mind, you just want to lead us in some worship. I want to invite you, uh, for time's sake, I'm not going to get into it, but in Revelation 22, the verse that comes before 17 is, is verse 16, and it's actually revelations of Jesus. And I want you to know that these are not just like random. These revelations actually stir the ache in your heart for him to come. So part of the come Lord Jesus is being fueled by what he's revealing in verse 16. You guys hear me on that? Maybe we'll come back in that next week a little bit. But here's, here's the last thing. It's anointing with the Spirit, established in bridal identity, engaged in intercession, and the last thing we're going to see, I think more and more, is effective in the harvest. And you actually see it right in this verse. The Lord's calling us more and more to go, and there's going to be anointing on us going from, from coming first, right? But look how verse 17, look at the next part of it. It says, The Spirit and the bride say come. And look at this next part, it's really interesting. It says, and let the one who hears say come. In other words, as there is a people gathering, crying out to the Lord to come, the idea is that there are others, the picture is they're listening. And they're hearing and they're watching a hungry, lovesick bride longing for the bridegroom. And it's actually awakening something in their hearts. I promise this is, this is going to happen. More and more as we gather around the Lord, morning and night, to bless his heart, people come in and they say, what is this? 
and they realize that they're not just being called to say a prayer as great as that is, but they're actually being invited into a glorious storyline, which is that you have a bridegroom, creator, king who longs for you and he's coming back for you. And what happens is as they're being awakened by this hunger in a body, it actually says they're coming into it and it says, let them now say come. (laughs) Let them join into what's taking place. And that is my prayer, that as we stay fiery and hungry in this, that as people hear it, they're going to be awakened in their hearts to join in, and they too will say, come. The come is vertical, but it's also, it's a horizontal come. It's come and join in. Come and see what you were made for. Come and see where it's all going. Oh, I'm so excited. Are you excited with me? All right, so stand with me. We're going to pray, and then um, we'll give room uh, specifically to pray for those who would like. We'll have a prayer team come up. But I'm going to ask, uh, if I could actually ask uh, Caesar and, and Pastor Crystal, if she can, I'm going to have you guys join me in prayer. If you can come up and, and Caesar. Again, as I said when I started, this is more than a second part to our first Advent series. I, I see this as establishing and setting vision for the new year. Uh, and what we already do, but just getting excited for the greater that's coming. And so I'm going to ask you just to, um, however you want, I don't, I don't care what it looks like, to kneel, stand, stay where you are, but we're just going to ask that the things that we're saying, we're going to really release it prophetically. So if you guys would pray into that uh, with me. Again, we're talking about anointed with the Spirit, established in bridal identity, engaging in intercession, and effective in the harvest. So I'll begin, and then we'll have them pray, and we'll close out. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. We love you, Lord. We love you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, we thank you for the privilege to be filled with the promise that you're coming back. And Lord, like the faithful remnant of Israel, Lord, we want to be that faithful remnant today. Lord, we thank you that you have changed everything in this house and you are calling us to participate in the greatest calling. (laughs) To be a, a Simeon and Anna that tills the ground of this earth until you come back. So Lord, I I just pray for a greater anointing on this house to step into the place of intercession, to step into the place of fasting and worship. Lord, more than ever, that we would see as a community us step into this, this calling. And I pray, Lord, that as we cry out for you to come, I pray, God, this would be the year of greater breakthrough in our hearts. We pray for greater breakthrough in this city over Mastic Beach. We say come in greater ways over this city. Lord, and we pray for you to come. We pray for you to come once and for all, God. Once and for all, God, that you you would come for your bride. Lord, that your kingdom would be established on the earth forever and ever and ever, Lord. Lord, we pray that this year we would grow as a ready bride. Oil would fill. Oil would fill in every heart. We pray, Holy Spirit, you'd help us to not grow weary. And Lord, we thank you in advance for those that will hear and say yes and join into this. 
Jesus' name.